This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I'm gonna hate it. The Money Pit is presented by LL Flooring, QuickCrete, Aero Fasteners, DeAngie App, Wagner Sprayers, and Castle Filters. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And home improvement is what we do. Well, more specifically, we help you with your home improvements, your remodeling projects, your decor projects. If you're doing it yourself or you're getting a pro to help, we can help answer questions to help you get started on the right foot. If you don't know where to start, you can start right here by calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit or posting your question on MoneyPit.com. Just click the blue microphone button, and we will talk about your project and hopefully save you some money, save you some time, save you some aggravation, so you can get to enjoying that new space ASAP. Coming up on today's show, are you getting ready to take a vacation this summer? Well, if you are, it'd be a great idea to set your house up to save some money while you're away. So we're going to share some tips on how you can do that. And if your lawn is full of weeds, don't just pull them before you pay attention to what's causing that problem. We're going to share how to read your weeds just ahead. And we've got some tips to help you keep your AC chugging along through the hottest days of the summer. And we've got a great prize to give away this hour. We've got some super useful tools that'll last a lifetime. We've got the Arrow Stapler and an amazing temp control glue gun coming up for one lucky winner. So give us a call right now. We'll toss your name in the Money Pit hard hat. And if you are drawn out at the end of today's show, we'll be sending you the GT300 Professional High Temp Glue Gun from Arrow Fastener, along with a TacMate staple gun so you can get started on some projects. The number again is 1-888-MONEYPIT. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Helen in Arizona is on the line with a question about some bubbling paint. What is going on? I had my uh, the exterior of my home painted uh, last summer, and um, the painter had uh, power washed it, came back in a, uh, a couple of days, a day or two, and actually did the painting. And it was about um, two months after that, I happened to notice little bubbles appearing under the the paint and um i i presume that's because there's water under that paint not necessarily what you have is an adhesion issue so the paint's not sticking 
to the wood siding or the substrate, whatever it is. This is a wood-sided house? Yeah, it's a manufactured home, yes. Okay. Do you know if your painter applied a primer or did he just put the top coat paint on? Uh, I'm trying to think if my paint did have primer in it. Well, it wouldn't have it in it. It would be a second coat. See, the right procedure would have been to scrape or pressure wash, as he did in this case, to get rid of the loose paint, right. algae or, or, or mildew and so on, let it dry, and then prime it, because primer is what is what makes the paint stick. Now, if he didn't prime it, and the paint's separating after two months, that's a big problem, and it's a problem for your painter, because he did something wrong. There's no way that paint should be failing after two months. I had it painted the fall prior, and, and the person did a terrible job. And so I decided to change colors and have it done again. The new painter, the guy who does accepts the condition of the house. So if the, if the first guy made any mistakes, then the, the second guy's job is to correct those mistakes so that his work looks good. But there was no bubbling after the first paint job. Okay, I, I heard you on that. But okay, no matter what was there before, you need to make sure that the house was not only cleaned and loose paint removed, but primed. Because at some point, you're going to keep, you can't keep putting layers upon layers of paint and expect everyone to stick to the one before it. Primer is the glue that makes the paint stick. And if you did not prime, I think that's probably a good reason that this paint is failing. Two days in warm weather should probably have been enough to you know, deal with any moisture from the pressure washing. I mean, heck, it's not much more than just a heavy rainfall. So I think what you need to do is to, is to contact that painter and have them back and have a discussion as to why your paint's failing after a short period of time. It absolutely should not be happening. Mike in Alaska, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? I have an upstairs window that leaks when it rains. I notice the uh, soffits are dripping on the outside of the windowsill, and I'm wondering if the reason for the window leaking is because of the soffits, or could it be the roof that's leaking, or or even the window that's leaking. I don't know who to call first. The soffits are the overhang where a roof overhangs the exterior wall. So are you saying that that's where you're seeing the water come out? Yeah, I'm seeing drips coming from the soffit. And do you have gutters? Uh, yes. All right. And sometimes gutters get backed up, and then the, the water will overflow the back of the gutter and drip out through the soffit. Do you think that might be what you're seeing? That's possible, too. I'm just wondering why I see drips coming from the soffits. Right, because as I said, the water will get behind the gutters, and then it will work its way into the soffit area. And once it does that, it's just going to run out the path of least resistance, which which you know could very well be um, what you're seeing with the drips. Is the soffit above the window? Yeah. Okay. So the window's a first floor window. Uh, second floor. And there's a soffit above it, and you think the window's leaking. Why do you think the window's leaking when the water's coming out of the soffit? because uh, it drips, and I have to put a towel around the window because it's dripping when it rains. So there could be two issues here. It might be flashing around the window or, or it could be an issue with the gutter. But here's a one way that you can diagnose this. What you could do is take a garden hose and get it up on that roof and let it run down the roof right around where that where where the where the window is under it. You, you know what I mean? Like not blast it, but just saturate it for a good 10-15 minutes and see if you can make it leak. If you can make it leak, you probably have a leaky gutter or a leaky roof. Now, if they, if it doesn't leak, then that's good. 
So the next thing you do is you take that water and now you start holding it around the sides of the window. Of course, the window has to be closed, right? But you hold it like between the siding and the window, not right up against it, but just try to sort of flood that area with water and again, see if it leaks. If it leaks then, then it's very likely the flashing around the window. And to fix that, you'll have to remove most likely the siding in that area and then have it pro reseal that window. It's not usually a matter where you can caulk it. Usually you have to reflash it because there's a breakdown somewhere that's letting that water in. But those two very simple checks can tell you which part of the area, the assembly, is leaking. It's kind of hard, as you've discovered, to track this down. So you have to be a bit of a detective, and that's one way to do it. If you can make it leak, you're going to know where that where that area is. Just do one side at a time so that if it leaks on the right side, for example, and the water's on the right, then you know kind of where to look for the for the failure that's causing it. If you just blast the whole side of the house with water, you're not going to know anything except it leaks, but you knew that when you started. <laughs> so you got to be kind of smart and strategic about it. Well, on the Money Pit, we give you answers to your home improvement questions, and sometimes we give you the tools to get them done. And that's what we're going to do right now because we have got from Arrow Fastener a summer fun pack, which includes the GT300 Professional High Temp Glue Gun and the TacMate Stable Gun to give away to one lucky listener. Uh, you got to call us with your question. We'll toss your name in the hard hat, and if we draw your name, we'll send that set out to you. It's worth 65 bucks. So if you want to win it, you got to be in it. Make that you. Pick up the phone and give us a call now at one eight eight Money Pit, or post your questions at moneypit.com. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Debbie in Ontario's on the line has a question about concrete. What's going on? Um, my question to do with concrete is that we we had a cement porch and patio, 
um, okay. attached to the back of the house. We had to have a large portion of that, like the pat, the porch for sure, and a large portion of the patio removed because we had um, our, around our foundation dug. New cement was poured, the porch first, and then the patio was replaced. What happened is within about four days or so, it, like they did the cuts the next day after the pour, but a few more days after that we noticed two cracks came in the two cement pads that butt up against the porch. And left and right side, the crack goes diagonally across the pad. I just were kind of wondering, um, the, the contractor saw what happened and he's sick about it, and we were just wondering if there's anything that can be done without having to remove those two large pads of cement that attach to the house and go through all that jackhammering and all that again. So these pads, is this like a stoop that you say they lead up to the porch? Are these like parts of sort of the sidewalk? The patio and then the porch is the only thing that's higher than the patio. So the patio is level with the cement driveway and then the porch Mm -hmm. is up from that. So it's on the patio itself. And that's where the crack is through the patio? Yeah, the patio. So the two cement slabs that are on either side of the porch, and the cuts that were made in the cement come up to the corner, the outside corner of the porch on either side, but then you know how they okay. can't cut but right these are Okay, so, so you're talking about a patio, and you're talking about two cement slabs that are opposite ends of the porch, so I'm having a real hard time, as I'm sure others listening are too, trying to figure out what this is all about, but it sounds to me like you've got slab on grade sections, right? Mm-hmm. And you're calling that a patio or a pad. Mm-hmm. And you have the correct. porch section. The porch seems correct. to be fine. Is that correct? Correct. And Okay. So I would think that um, the, the soil underneath uh, the patio areas um, would need to be especially well compacted before those slabs were poured. Because considering the amount of demolition that had to have happened, I suspect that that soil outside the porch area would not have been compacted, and that would have been really key to make sure that those slabs don't crack. Um, the reason that they're cracking is probably because there is some compaction that happened based on the weight of the concrete and the drying and such, and and that's why they're cracking now. Now, can you do anything about it? Well, whatever you do about it is going to be cosmetic, not structural. If Also, if that concrete was not reinforced... That's another reason that it would crack. There's ways to put concrete in that's just plain concrete, and then there's other ways that you could do it where it's reinforced. So if it wasn't reinforced correctly, that could be another issue. But there's nothing that you can do to repair it structurally at this point. You're always going to have a crack. So you know what you could do is seal that crack. There are special uh, caulk-like, it's not caulk, but it's a caulk-like product that's designed to seal concrete. Um, but you're always going to be looking at that crack unless you resurface the whole uh, patio section, and again, there are products that are designed specifically for that that will stick to the old uh, concrete slab, which is actually pretty new in your case, and perhaps cover the, the crack. But that crack's always going to be sort of the place where the patio decides to expand and contract in the seasons, so mm-hmm. I do suspect you'll always see some part of it. So you either live with it and uh, repair it cosmetically, or just have it torn out and re-poured. I mean, a slab itself is not that big of a deal to get out. You know, it seems like a big deal, big deal, but Frankly, they break up pretty quickly. Uh, oh. And then, again, key is making sure that that base is properly compacted and properly tamped and that the slab is properly reinforced. And if that's done right uh, with the right concrete mix, this should not have happened. Okay. It would, 
would it be all right even just to replace, like cut out maybe two feet along that slab and make like just take out the the corner square of it? You're gonna have you're gonna have that be separate slabs now. It depends on whether or not you want to see that. It's always going to be a cut. So no, probably not. Unless you want to make it an expansion joint and have it be completely separate, you know, pieces of concrete. Okay. Very good. All right. Good luck with that project. Sorry that happened to you. And thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Thank you. Well, it's vacation season, but before you leave town for a well-earned summer getaway, it's smart to take some small steps to save money and energy at home and help pay for that vacation. Well, the Department of Energy recommends a few steps. First, water heating can account for more than 25% of the energy consumed in the home, so turn down your water heater temperature to vacation mode. Next, as long as there are no pets in the home, set the programmable thermostat at a higher temperature than usual. There's no sense cooling an empty house. Now, Americans can also waste up to one month's electricity bill each year on vampire energy. That's electronic appliances that use a tiny amount of electricity even when they're off. So you're going to want to go around and unplug things like a coffee maker, a phone charger, laptop computers, TVs, cable box, printers, anything with a transformer block, that kind of big square block that's in either the line uh, or on the plug itself. Keep them unplugged while you're away. All right, next up, keep your window shades closed. That's going to help keep the house cool with all that afternoon sun pouring in. And then make sure all of your lights are turned off. But remember, for security reasons, get a timer, put those lights on a timer, kind of randomize it so it looks like there's actual activity going on in the house. And to save money there, use some LED bulbs. The nice thing about all of this is that you're going to return home to a lower utility bill. Yeah, and you can use that extra cash to pay off the vacation. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when the charge cards come in and the bills come in from the vacation, that's when the vacation is officially over. <laughs> oh, for sure. Randy in Texas needs some help with some yard work. Tell us what's going on. Yes, ma'am. Uh, what I've got, I've got a 30-foot, by 15-foot pressure-treated deck on the back back of my house. And where the wood has shrank or shrunk, uh, and giving me gaps between the uh, two-by-six boards. I've had leaves fall in there, and I can't. You know, I have no way to get them out without taking the deck up, which I don't want to do. Is there some way that I can put some kind of uh, organic matter or something in there to break down the leaves so I don't have sprouts coming up? So you're saying that you have uh, organic matter that's stuck between the two by six floorboards of the deck, and they're they're starting to grow. The deck itself is sitting on a uh, concrete patio, and then I've got two by fours laid on uh, on edge, and that's what I built the deck on. Oh, so it's a it's basically a wood platform like a, like a pallet on top of a patio. There you go. Yeah, no wonder it's so moist. <laughs> Well, listen, I mean, that's a real unusual assembly, and there's good reason for, for, for doing it, not doing it that way because of what you're seeing. You've got a lot of moisture issues here. I don't have a good solution for you because it's just a, a, a non-traditional way to assemble a deck. Without having, I mean, I, I, it had to be that way. Otherwise, it wouldn't match up with the floor. I'd be elevated above my floor. Mm-hmm. My elevation of the, of the house itself. I've right. heard putting uh, dry molasses. Would that help? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I feel like that might attract some critters. Uh, yeah, some, some ants, definitely ants and stuff. You have a wood 
frame deck that's basically built flat on top of a concrete surface. The concrete's going to stay really moist and damp, which is one of the reasons that it's a, so it's a perfect, almost greenhouse-like conditions for you to grow um, plants through there. One of the things that you could do is you could use a product like Roundup, which is a herbicide that will, you know, once you spray it, it will stop. It will kill things a lot of things coming back. Right. And you also might want to try spray and forget. So spray and forget okay. also has the ability to stop mold and mildew and lichen and algae. And it may be just enough to uh, stop the growth of whatever's happening in between those boards. But you can find that at, at home centers nationwide. It's a great product and, you, and it has a sort of residual effect. Now it's not an instant gratification kind of deal. You spray it on there and you let the sun, the wind, and the rain get to it and very slowly over time breaks down all of those materials and stops them from coming back. So you're going to have to do something like that to try to maintain this. Um, but in okay. terms of stopping the material from getting in between the cracks, that I don't have a solution for you on. Okay? Okay. All right. All right good sir. luck. Thanks so much for that call. Appreciate your, your question, and good luck with the project. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT. Hey, guys, do you love posting photos of your four-legged furry friends? Well, right now, you can post a picture of your floof to enter LL Flooring's floof-proof pet sweepstakes for your chance to win a $1,000 gift card and more from LL Flooring. That's right. All you have to do is post a picture with the hashtag LL Floof-proof on Instagram. That's LL Floof-proof or enter direct at moneypit.com slash sweepstakes. You can enter once a day, and you can even earn bonus entries by sharing the sweeps with friends. That's LL Floof Proof on Instagram or moneypit.com slash sweepstakes. Susan in California is on the line and needs some help with a driveway makeover. What's going on at your money pit? <laughs> I'm so glad you said the money pit because that's exactly what it is. And now it's the driveway, <laughs> about 1,200 square feet. 
and it's uh, been it's about thirty eight years old, and it needs something else done. And I really don't want to resurface it with uh, blacktop. What are my options? So it's an asphalt driveway now. That's what you're starting with. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Listen, I got news for you, Susan. A 38-year-old roadway needs to be replaced. <laughs> and that's exactly what you have. Whether it's a road that goes down the street or a road that's a highway, nothing lasts 38 years. And if you've gotten 38 years out of that driveway, uh, it's time for a new one. And sure, you can keep slapping sealer on it and patching the cracks and all of that. But at that age, it's got to go. What, what's the best way? Do they just remove the whole thing and then start from scratch? Or what's the best way to go? I think that's the best way. In most cases, that's the best way. You can resurface it. But if you want to make sure that the base is really solid, you know, you would take off the old. They would put a new base down. They would compact it with machines. So it's really, really solid. And then they would apply new asphalt on top of that. Um, I would make sure I got a specification as to exactly how many inches of this material they're going to put down so that you can compare apples to apples when you're looking at at different contractors. But I think that's going to be your best solution. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome, Susan. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, for sure, weeds are the scourge of those trying to maintain a pristine lawn. But before you try and wipe them out, stop and take a look. They're probably telling you something. Now, weeds contain clues for their own demise, and that's information you need if you want to address the root problem and keep them from coming back once and for all. So, if weeds could talk, what exactly are they telling us about our lawns? Well, consider that weeds pop up in response to certain types of growing conditions that are good for them, but actually bad for your lawn's health. For example, if you see crabgrass, that is a problem that's usually caused by scalped turf. So if you stop scalping your turf, you're not going to have any more crabgrass problems or raise the height of your mower blades because it shouldn't be that low anyway. All right. Now, if you're seeing something that's known as common plantain, that means you've got wet or slow-draining soil. So to get rid of that, you need to reduce your watering and regrade that soil for better drainage. Or you can replace that entire area of lawn with a rain garden, and that should do the trick there. Now, white clover, I mean, I'm guilty of this. I see it on my front lawn at the sort of beginning of the summer season. That means you've got low soil fertility. You can run a soil test and apply organic fertilizer as recommended. Now, if you see creeping Charlie... And no, we're not talking about your son, Leslie. It's a weed. I was going to say, leave him alone. (laughs) Creeping Charlie. If you see that, that actually means you have too much shade. So what you want to do is overseed that area with a shade-tolerant grass variety, and that will sort of prevent Creeping Charlie from creeping up in that spot. Now, on the other hand, if you see knotweed, that is caused by compacted or heavy soil, and so you want to aerate the areas that are prone to heavy foot traffic and do that yearly. All right. Now, what happens when you don't exactly know what type of weed you're seeing in the lawn How can you tell, Tom, exactly what's happening so you can treat it correctly? Well, you can check the weed library, and yes, it actually exists. It's at garden.org slash weed library. All right. I hope that helps you guys out. Ken in Texas, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you? Uh, We had a contractor. We built a little cottage. The upstairs is 790 foot, and then the bottom is a garage, and we might make half of it into another bedroom. But we was debating on whether to put in the ductless mini-split system or they mentioned this high-velocity little three-inch fence system. But I think I'm pretty much going to go with the ductless mini-slip. Yeah, I mean, the high-velocity systems are good for, especially for older houses where it's hard to run ductwork, but I found that they're pretty expensive, especially in a small project like that. I think a ductless mini-slip will work fine, and you can get one that both heats and cools. Now, how many rooms are in this 700-square-foot uh, cottage? Well, it's like 795 upstairs. 
But what I was figuring on is going with the 48,000 BTU and then go, or not 4,800, excuse me, and then do 218 where we're going to live at, 18 upstairs and one. 12,000 downstairs, that's not right. Well, there's a heat loss calculation that you can do and your, your HVAC contractor should do for you. But my the reason I asked you about how many rooms is you just want to make sure that the AC can get to all the rooms because split ductless means it's one point. It's, we're, it's one great big room upstairs, you know, one open room upstairs. No, I was going to put one on each end. I mean, I think you're best to consult with an HVAC pro. You have to also keep in mind that each of the split systems, the one piece that's on the inside goes to its own individual condensing unit on the exterior. Now, there are um, commercial-grade split systems that I've used on episodes of Hotel Impossible that contain multiple interior units that go to one condensing unit. So speaking with a pro, they might be able to give you a better idea of which options would work well to minimize the amount of units on the exterior and maximize the amount of cooling. Ken, good luck with that project. Give us a call, shoot us an email, let us know what you are working on because we've got great prizes up for grabs. And right now we have the Summer Fun Pack from Arrow, which includes two amazing, awesome tools. It's the GT300 Professional High Temp Glue Gun, which is my personal fave, and the TacMate Staple Gun. Both are super easy to use. They're durable. They're really powerful. It's a great prize pack. You will find a ton of projects that you can tackle around your money pit. It's a prize pack worth 65 bucks, but going out for free to one lucky listener. That's right. So make that you call us right now with your home improvement question at 1-888-MONEYPIT or post it on moneypit.com. Sharon in Ohio is on the line with a sump pump question. How can we help you? Um, we have an issue with our furnace. It seems to be pulling sewer gas from our sump pump because that's where it drains into, and we can't figure out how to solve the issue. Temporarily, temporary solution is to pour water in the sump pump. But then about three or four days later, we turn the furnace on and it draws the sewage gas air again. Well, let's talk about this. So first of all, what water from the furnace is being drained into the sump pump? Are you talking about the uh, condensate line from the air conditioning system? Yes, sir. Is there a return duct in the basement area where this is or in the room where this is? Or do you think it's coming in through the drain pipe? We think it's coming in from the sump pump. And it's a wintertime issue because it happens when we turn the furnace on. Well, if you think it's it's... Because it's reversing, it's pulling whatever soil gas is causing this unpleasant odor. If you think it's coming in because of the drain line, there's a really simple solution. Put a trap in it. So if the drain line has a P-trap, kind of the same kind of that sort of uh, U-shaped pipe that's underneath the bathroom sink, then that pipe will stay filled with water and will not allow any gases, any air to back up through it and get into the furnace. That's not built into the furnace already? Not always. I mean, it depends on the workmanship of the installer. But no, you would see it on the outside. If you don't see a P-trap, it doesn't have one. The other thing that could be causing this, and sometimes this happens, is, is occasionally, and I don't want to freak you out, but occasionally you'll get a rodent that will die inside of a return duct. And if that happens, yeah, the stink can go on for quite a while. But I would take a look at that drain line, and if it doesn't have a trap in it, do that. And uh, make sure it's filled with water when you start, if it's the winter, because it won't be. Uh, and I think you won't find any more uh, air gets through that pipe. Well, now that we are in the hottest part of the summer, having your air conditioner break down would make your life pretty miserable for a bit. Now, replacing your AC filter can actually help make sure that your system keeps working, but how frequently does that really have to happen? The answer, guys, is it depends. The cheapest filters last about a month, but don't do a great job. The electronic air filters can last longer, but they cost thousands to install. That's why a better option is to try out the Castle filter. Yeah, you know, Castle makes a really unique filter. It's unique because it holds 10 times more dust than traditional pleated filters, and 
It lasts for a full year and doesn't obstruct airflow. It actually uses a proprietary filtering media technology that performs a lot better than regular pleated filters. And the cost of a Kessel filter, yeah, it's initially higher than a pleated filter, but you're installing just one per year. With those pleated filters, you need between five and eight filters to last that same amount of time for the year. Kessel filters help protect your home, your wallet, and your environment. They're made in the USA, and they're guaranteed. You're going to get improved air quality all year long, and your heating and cooling system will be protected from breakdowns that result in costly repair bills. Check them out and learn more at castlefilters.com, castlefilters.com. Pat in Nebraska is on the line with a dishwasher that has decided to take the day off. <laughs> What's going on? Hi. Uh, yes, our dishwasher is on the blink, literally. Uh, it doesn't seem to work anymore. And as I look at it, uh, on the menu screen across the top, it's blinking but doesn't work when I hit the start button or cancel or open the door or shut it. Um, can't get it to work anymore. How old is the dishwasher, Pat? I'd say about five years old. Mm, that's it's a shame. That old. Yes. We've yeah. gone through four of them since we've owned this house in about 20 wow. years. Wow. Really amazed. Uh, my husband yeah. shut and I'm sure the power a annoyed off too. and turned it back on, and it still doesn't seem to work. So we open and shut the door. Everything. So, so we think it's is. I went online and there's something about some kind of a board that can like a like a motherboard or something. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I was thinking. It's it's a failure of the control circuit, and there's a lot of electronic products in these newer uh, appliances. And the question, of course, is you know repair or replace. And at five years old, you're kind of right at that sort of balance point. You might be able to repair it. The question is, is it going to be worth a couple hundred bucks to you to do that, or would you rather take the 200 bucks and put it towards a, a new unit? That's what we weren't sure, so that's why we thought we'd give you a call. I think if it was me, I'd probably not repair it, only because what do you hope to get out of that? You know, eight years, nine years? Having somebody come out to your house and fix anything these days is a couple hundred bucks minimum. So it would end up being, you know, a third of the cost of a new unit. I mean, you can find a decent dishwasher for five or six hundred bucks, and you could find a basic one for even less. Well, how much do you think the part would cost? We don't know that that's the part. You know, you have to have a service person diagnose it. But if you just wanted to satisfy your curiosity, there's lots of uh, websites online that sell appliance parts, and I'm sure you could find it. But, you know, the issue is that it's a call to the serviceman to come out and diagnose it, and that costs some money, and then a call, and then he has to come back after the part comes in. It's not the kind of thing where they can uh, keep these parts on the truck anymore, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So, well, we were wanting your expert opinion. We kind of were leaning that way anyway. You know, I tell you what, if it was older, it would be a lot easier decision. I do agree that it's still, you know, middle-aged, but I, I still don't think it's probably worth you putting the money into it. Yes. All right. Well... I guess we'll go shopping for a a new dishwasher. Darren wrote in saying, I just drained my electric water heater out to clean the hard water buildup. There was so much that I was running out of hot water. It was so full that it had completely buried the bottom heating element. What can I do to avoid this? Now, Tom, if you've not done this sort of maintenance throughout the lifetime of the water heater, yeah. is it smart to suddenly just do it? This is what can happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I always feel like it's kind of you've ridden it out at this point. Like, do you start and open up a whole can of worms or just kind of go with it? it till it dies. I don't think that you're really opening up a whole can of worms. I mean, the valves, 
the drain valves and water heaters are pretty reliable. They don't usually like, you know, get gummed up the way, say, a pressure release valve might. But I would say that the way you avoid this is to do it more frequently. It must have taken many years for you to build up that much hard water deposits, usually calcium deposits, minerals that are in the water that just settle to the bottom of the tank. And the fact that it got so thick that it covered the heating element, um, that's why you kind of ran out of hot water because that element probably wasn't working as a result. In fact, if you went through all the trouble of draining this whole thing, I'd probably replace the element at the same time. Just just good, smart practice. You don't have to drain it all out again. But what you want to do is flush it out. You know, run a few gallons of water at least every month or so. Just hook up a hose, a garden hose to that, stick it in the sink, and let it run a bit and flush it out. And this way it won't build up uh, any more than that. It'll just really sit lightly on the bottom of the tank. And by the way, you know, when you do let it build up like that, even if you have a regular gas water heater where the flame is sort of underneath the tank, I mean, with electric, the elements are stuck in the in the side of the tank, but with gas, it's underneath. That hardware buildup acts as an insulator, so it makes it a lot harder for you to heat the water. The burners have to run longer to do the same thing, which means you're wasting energy. So that's the solution. Just flush it out a little more frequently, Darren, and you should be good to go. All right. Now, Joyce wrote in saying, the air in our laundry room gets humid in the summer, and we found moisture damage in the bottom of a sink cabinet. Can this be caused by the humidity, or could this be a leak? Well, it could be both. Um, if you have a leak, though, it should be you should be able to see it. So what I usually do if I'm looking for a leaky sink is I will close the drain of the sink. I will fill the sink up to the overflow, let it run down the overflow a bit. And then I will open up the drain all at once and take a look down there with a good flashlight and see if I can kind of make it leak. Because that's kind of like a heavy-duty test, right, when you run all that water through. If it's not leaking, then it might be the condensation. You've got water pipes down there that get chilly. You have no air circulation. Then you have warm, moist air from the outside that gets into that space. It condenses. It releases its water vapor or its water droplets. And then that sort of ends up as a little puddle in the bottom of the cabinet. And if your cabinet is particle board, like most of them are, it's going to swell and look bad. So uh, the solution in that case is, is maybe to put a vent into that cabinet so that you you don't uh, have a difference so much in temperature between one side or the other. The fact that the cabinet's cold, probably from the from the pipes, is what's causing this. Or you could also insulate that cold water line because I bet you that there's some water dripping off of that. The same way you'd have water that collects on the outside of a say an iced tea glass in the summer when you're outside, it can uh, collect on the outside of that pipe. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Good luck, Joyce. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on a beautiful summer weekend. We hope that you're enjoying it. Uh, if this is the holiday weekend for you, it may be depending on where you are in the country. We hope that you're taking some time off to celebrate Independence Day. We'll even give you some independence from your home improvements if that's the case. But after that, it's time to get back to work. And if you need help on a project, remember, you can reach out to us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT or click the blue microphone button on moneypit.com. For now, though, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.